0: Diego, it is a pleasure of mine to have you on The Green Room today, brought to you by The Impact. I am super excited to learn more about what you guys are doing at Pachama. Um, I've been following your guys' growth over the past year on LinkedIn and Twitter, and uh, I, I can't tell you how honored I am to be able to see this and and hear it right from you in terms of what you guys are helping address and the problems you're attempting to solve because... Uh, The carbon offset marketplace, that's that's a really fascinating world that uh, has gone through a lot of trials and tribulations, and it seems you guys have addressed some of the biggest issues in the space. But uh, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself and uh, the problems you're addressing over at
1: Pachama. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, And yes, uh, I am the co-founder and CEO of a new technology startup called Pachama. our mission is to help restore nature as a solution to climate change we started actually with with that insight the insight that uh, forests and other ecosystems play such an important role uh, on fixing climate change Um, trees as they grow we all know sequester co2 from the atmosphere and that is what we need to solve climate change of course we also need to move away from fossil fuels that's what we mostly need we need to stop burning fossil fuels and putting co2 in the atmosphere but in parallel we also need to remove that co2 that we put in the atmosphere and i was blown away when i started looking at this uh you know solution how little funding was actually going to nature restoration and conservation Uh, at the time when i was doing my research only two percent of carbon markets was going to nature-based solutions to reforestation and forest conservation. Two percent. That's right. When I started asking around, you know, how come nature receives so little funding? What I learned was that, well, first I learned the history of carbon credits, and if you if you if you want, we can go there. But started basically as as a way to trade emission reductions for countries and for large polluters such as uh, energy companies, um, and then it expanded into renewable energies. Um, but in nature-based solutions so was something kind of like a new uh, iteration of carbon markets, uh, strongly push uh, on the Paris Agreement. Uh, Article 5 of the Paris Agreement focuses on forest. Uh, however, the problem was still lack of trust, because when it comes to reforestation and forest conservation, you basically have to trust that someone in another corner of the planet is going to be effectively not cutting down trees, in an area that is effectively under threat of deforestation or replanting and caring for a tree plantation uh, in an area where that wouldn't have happened without the support of carbon markets so in order to answer all these questions today there are protocols and methodologies and there are certification bodies that you know focus on, on providing the trust but they do it uh, you know in a, in a or, or they did it historically in a way that was very manual you know you you send auditors to the field you file a lot of paperwork to justify the project uh, and 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 the problem was that the nature of how this was being done prevented many companies from trusting carbon markets and preventing many landowners from getting started with carbon certification so what we tried to do is Uh, Or or that led me to to, to want to start this company, you know, seeing that there was a technology gap and that that technology could play a very important role at reducing um, the cost, at increasing the transparency and just making the entire market more efficient so that more funding could go to reforestation and forest conservation, ensuring that when you're buying a carbon credit, that carbon credit effectively represents one ton of CO2 removed from the atmosphere by a tree that is growing in another part of the world and hopefully ideally uh, helping local communities make an income of fixing climate change as opposed to making an income of producing climate change and planting native species that also help with the biodiversity aspect of a conservation project so to do that we use satellite images artificial intelligence and the internet Basically, to build a platform that can deliver on all these uh, problems,
0: have found a way, and and there's a lot to unpack there. But it seems like you guys have found a way to automate the auditing process for what these pre-existing, I guess, uh, certification bodies are already doing today. But they're sending out individuals, which Naturally, you can't have a human stationed at every reforestation right. project across the globe. So, you found a way to automate that entire process with satellite imagery and AI.
1: That's right. Yes. Um, so, still, there there might be a component of on-site audit and on-site visit, but okay. you know you cannot cover. Tens of thousands of hectares of Amazon rainforest, you know, uh, with no human in no humanly possible way, right? So the only way to monitor in real time the size of a country uh, of uh, forest is with satellite data. And even when when we had satellite data, but we didn't have computer vision, which is this technique of artificial intelligence that allows you to basically have an algorithm look at an image in real time you still need humans to go pixel by pixel seeing whether there was deforestation or not. But now you can run an algorithm. Got and the algorithm is scanning the images and detecting changes. And if it detects a change, then you can basically double click and observe what's going on in the forest, right? Um, Got so yeah. It.
0: So, so you guys are literally using, I guess, uh, I don't know how frequently satellite imagery you're able to get access to. Yeah. But- you know, i'd imagine let's say it's a month for just conversational right. purposes you're able to use ai to say okay well because these trees were planted on this acre of land in the amazon rainforest we know that trees are going to look like this in terms of coverage right. over x period of time and you're backing it up with satellite imagery and if there's a discrepancy then you can dispatch a actual human to go check out what actually happened in that specific location as opposed to needing people to be scanning the full rainforest yes that's
1: that's intention that's intention yeah
0: got it okay so then how does this play into the carbon you know offset market or the carbon market as a means to fund reforestation because that's something really unique that i've never really even heard of as the pitch for carbon markets Right. because usually the pitch for carbon markets obviously through the years, and I'd love to, to understand from your own experience in learning about the space and how you guys have advanced the market with this auditing tool. But um, what what is it about the carbon markets that really enable reforestation projects? Because that's, that's a perspective that I've never even come across.
1: Yeah, what I would say that... Uh... I like about carbon markets, or, or the way that carbon markets work, is the following: we need to decarbonize the economy, right? Uh, we need to 100%. reach net zero. Um, we need to move totally away of fossil fuels, right? But that Absolutely. will take some time, and you know we still don't have electric airplanes, unfortunately, to replace the the global uh, air fleet we still you know, are going to have cars burning gas for the next uh, right. few years. And even the most progressive uh, places like California is setting up targets for 2030 to you know, get rid of uh, gas cars. Right. So as right. we transition out of fossil fuels, we can today start compensating the carbon that we are continuing to put in the atmosphere and the carbon that we put in the past. So certain companies are actually saying, you know, we are investing heavily on decarbonizing, but we're also taking responsibility for the CO2 that we put in the atmosphere already. And the way that we're taking responsibility is by investing in removing this carbon through carbon markets, right? And then carbon markets come because, you know, an airline is not in the business of planting trees and they cannot be in the business of planting trees, but an airline can say, well, you know what, through carbon markets, through an effective carbon accounting mechanism, I'm gonna dedicate funds to compensate the CO2 that I put in the atmosphere, and that money is gonna go to remove CO2 from the atmosphere from trees that are growing or from other sources. You know, there, there are many ways in which we can we can remove CO2 from the atmosphere and other ways in which we can you know reduce emissions, um, and so. In my mind, this is an effective mechanism to drive uh, sustainable financing to areas of climate solutions that prior you know, just were only relying on philanthropy or government funding. And the scale of the challenge of climate change requires hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars to go to the solutions. Right. So it is essential that we make carbon credits work uh, to drive funding to this type of projects.
0: It's, it's almost like, I guess, if we had to bring in the stock market, it, it's it's like almost putting a dollar value on what a ton of carbon is worth, and you're using that as a means to purchase a tree. Like, it That's may right. cost only a dollar to plant a tree, but instead you're saying the value of that tree is worth $10. So the carbon markets help increase the amount of impact being delivered and actually cover the true cost of pushing reforestation efforts which isn't a single tree it's thousands of acres that need to be completely restored that's right is is that the right understanding of what the carbon markets are really enabling here
1: that's right yeah climate uh climate scale reforestation and when i say climate scale reforestation is that in order to move the needle on climate we need gigatons of CO2 removed from the atmosphere. And to get gigatons removed from the atmosphere, you need to reforest millions of hectares. Now, that might sound like a very enormous mission, but if you compare it with other things that humans do, like building enormous bridges and building skyscrapers and sending rockets to the moon, reforesting millions of hectares is not that difficult to do. The only thing we need to do is just send money and and ensure that the trees are being planted and, and kept there.
0: Right, because once once you know that you can validate that every action being taken is an actual action that is delivering a quantifiable amount of impact, then it's just a function of how much capital do we want to push towards it. That's right. Which which changes the whole perspective and the conversation around, the, I guess, carbon offsets and and what carbon markets are really enabling, if you present it in the sense, and really what it is doing is it's driving capital into reforestation efforts, whereas the traditional, and, and where does that, that side of the world come from? Because when you typically read literature on carbon offsets, people tend to say, you know, hey, this is a easy way for companies to not do anything for the climate, they're not really creating tangible impact. But in reality, if we're able to verify that a tree is planted and it is reducing certain tons of carbon, which we can know based on, I assume, the species of the tree, then, yeah. in theory, this is a really high impact action. And anyways, yeah. climate is a societal issue.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, I guess that the, what what the criticisms sometimes come, and and they are, you know, uh, reasonable, when a company. let's take an oil company, right? An oil company might say, well, you know what? We are just going to plant a lot of trees and we're carbon neutral. Congratulate us, guys. Uh, And we're going to continue extracting oil and burning fossil fuels, right? And business as usual, Mm. right? So, you know, that's not the way that this should work, right? I mean, we cannot let oil companies keep going as if, you know, oil was not the problem, right? No. Oil companies need to continue to transform their business. And there are some that are doing it. They're divesting, stop exploration and extraction of oil, you know, investing heavily on solar and wind and renewable energies in general. Meanwhile, they can invest in reforestation and conservation and other, you know, carbon removal technologies to achieve carbon neutrality. So it's almost, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I compare it with the health of a, of a human. Right. I mean, you need to hmm. stop smoking and you need to start, you know, uh, you know, uh, eating well. Right. Uh, if you want to be right. healthy. Right. And, and, and one thing doesn't mean you that you shouldn't do you. the other. Right. You need to stop doing the things right. that do wrong to you and you need to start doing things that do good to you. Right. So I think that's the way they see here, you know, how we're going to build a sustainable planet. Okay.
0: Okay. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense because it seems like a lot of people were blaming the system. It's like in, in the sense of going along the analogy of the human body, it's like, if you just eat ice cream 24 seven, you're going to be very unhealthy. Right. Just because you bought a subscription to, uh, what's that, what's that product called weight watchers Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you've, you've done everything right. You've gotten right. the food, you now need to change that habit. And there are companies that are just making the jump of, hey, I gave money, but they aren't making the actual internal right. change that they need to. And no. that's where that kind of publicity came from. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So what's what's been your journey with you know, carbon offsets or more importantly, reforestation? Because what you guys are driving home and scaling is the ability to validate and in my in my opinion also accelerate reforestation efforts at a global scale. Because if you yeah. can audit based on satellite imagery with the the advances space technology is having, I'm sure yeah. you guys may have real time feeds soon. Yeah. So yeah. what's your yeah. what's your journey been with reforestation?
1: Yeah, I mean the journey has been you know, fascinating learning so many different disciplines because, you know, we had to learn about forest science. We had to learn about geospatial sciences. We had to learn about computer science and machine learning. We had to learn about, um, you know, cloud computing and terabytes of data being processed and analyzed in real time. We had to learn about finance and, you know, financial mechanisms. And we had to learn about international trade because, you know, we're talking about Brazil and Peru and Indonesia and the US and Europe, right? So wow. it, unlocking the solution requires this very multidisciplinary uh, effort. So uh, to me, it's been about building a team that has all these different skills. Um, and in a short period of time, I mean, the company has two years and a half, uh, but we're already 23 team members, you know, combining all these different disciplines. And we're also surrounding ourselves with advisors and investors that can help us, you know, do it right from every perspective. Um, But it's just been fascinating to see so many talented people that want to be part of the climate solution.
0: Yeah, no, it's 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 the kind of company that I would also want to work at just because there's impact and there's tech. And and I think that that goes for many people who are in the climate tech space. because if you can get both the best, uh, if you can get the best of both worlds in this case, both technology advancements yeah. and climate impact, it makes it a really attractive proposition for anyone want to be involved with. My my thought is then, or the, the question that immediately comes to mind, I, I don't think you're a you know forest scientist or a geospatial engineer. Is, is your co-founder by any chance? Did you guys, like, how did you yes. guys get started? Is this... Is yeah. this something where you're just like, Hey, we're going to sit down and learn or,
1: you know, well, yeah, I actually, well, my co-founder is a machine learning engineer. Um, okay. and I am a technology entrepreneur. I would define myself. I did two other technology companies before nothing to do with climate or forest or carbon. Uh, the two companies okay. were in the travel industry, actually, because I was very passionate about really? travel and the first one was a mobile app to book hostels. The second one was a, a luggage system that allow you to track your suitcase anywhere in the world using GPS and 3G. Um, really? But what I learned building these two companies is that you can create stuff. You, you can come out with an idea and that nobody thought before that somebody's tried before and failed, and then you can just go and try it. And then you can, you know, surround yourself with people that know different things and then raise some capital and then go and build it and, and launch it to the world and then improve it and learn from it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's been kind of like my uh, addition to teams is, uh, is, to, is to bring together talent and capital and around an idea, around a vision, and then just you know persist on making it work, right? And, okay. and I think that- So, so that, you're, you're a
0: true yeah. entrepreneur then?
1: I guess so. Yeah. And, and I do think that sometimes, uh, ignorance is bliss because you don't know what you don't know, or you don't know that things are not possible in a certain way. And then you, 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 you ask, you know, why not? You know? Um, and I think that when it comes to innovation is, is basically that it's basically looking at what are the technologies that are, you know, that have become available recently. How can they be applied to solve problems of the past? Um, and and you know how, how you can think from first principles something um, and And yeah, in a way, I think that we need more of that you know to solve climate change.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So how did you how did you guys get started then? So yeah. we've now connected the dots that you have. A co-founder who I imagine is a close friend of yours, maybe even from past, mm-hmm. you know, startups potentially. Um, and that luggage thing—that sounds actually fascinating. I think I need one of those because I've lost luggage before on flights. <laughs> but um, when it, when it when it relates to when it relates to to Pachama specifically and building a climate tech startup, yeah, it. It must have been really complicated to, to attract that first team of forced scientists yeah. and geospatial engineers. How, how did you think through that? And because this is a a big company kind of problem, this is an enterprise tech solution almost, yeah. I would classify it as. How did you think through that entire process of getting yeah. from idea to, to getting your first customer, I guess?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I took about, a year to research. Um, okay. I was kind of like taking a sabbatical after my last company. I was burned okay. out and tired um, and, and I needed to kind of like, re, you know, uh, reassess my life if you want to even. And, and that's when I had this, this intention. This idea actually came after I did a trip to the Amazon rainforest with my two brothers and then I saw these giant hmm. trees in the middle of the Amazon and I saw deforestation. And I was like, this this doesn't this make sense, right? So I came back to California. I just started reading books, you know, networking with people that could tell me some information about this, telling people in the in the tech world, hey, can you give me feedback about this idea? What do you think? Um, and, and some people saw it, some people didn't see it. Um, but I was just, you know, continuing iterating on the on the on the idea. And and then, you know, eventually I started, you know, kind of like looking for a co-founder and looking for, okay, I want to, I want a partner to, to, to do this with, um, and then I connected with Tomas. He was actually not a close friend. He was an acquaintance and he, he's also oh. from Argentina. So we, we, we shared that and he, he had very similar ideas to mine. He was actually in fact, starting a project of his own with very similar ideas. So we kind of like merged two, two projects or two you know, similar ideas into one Um, and then, you know, our first engineer uh, after him was a friend of ours that we called. We were actually in a coffee shop in San Francisco and I asked uh, Tomas, Hey, of all the engineers that you know, who would be your ideal person to work with? And he told me Gonza and I, okay, let's call him. And I called Gonza, Hey Gonza, where are you? (laughs) And he was, you know, doing some errands. Hey, can you come to this coffee shop in San Francisco right now? We have an idea to tell you and then he came and then he told me, I love it Um, you know I just I have some savings but not a lot so you know if you are going to need to get paid at some point I was like okay don't worry I'll figure that out Um, and then another friend of ours also you know he came to us and he said I know that you guys are starting this I want to be part and he came to us and then our first forest scientist uh, I actually was looking for papers on people, on researchers using LiDAR and satellite to measure forests, And I found his papers and then in a coincidence, someone introduced introduced him to us. And then I jumped on a call with this guy. He was in Maine and I told him, Hey, can I pay you a ticket to come to California and spend two days with me and my friends and, and, and we can learn from you and you can learn from us and maybe we get to work together. And then I flew him to, from Maine to, to California. He stayed in my house. And then we, over the weekend, we talked about this idea and he loved it. And then by the end, before he left, I offered him to join us uh, and he joined us. And that's how it happened, the first. And then similar Damn. stories for almost all the to the members.
0: <laughs> so, so not only was it a mix of serendipity to meet that uh, scientist in Maine, yeah. But but the entire journey was, hey, you're working on a similar idea, let's join forces and yes. then random phone calls to people who are like, Hey, I like the idea, let's just do it. Yeah. And and you had already put together a rock star team then, which yeah. probably led you guys to be able to put together your first, I guess, iteration of what Pachamo's tech is and this auditing tool and yeah. Did you guys initially think that the the target market was going to these enterprise companies? I know you guys have worked with Shopify now. Yeah. Um and yeah. a couple of other really big enterprises. So yeah. was that the initial idea or did you guys think, oh wait, the impact for this is let's license this auditing solution to these mm. certification bodies?
1: Yeah, no, the idea was actually the same that it is today. Um, you know, I, I, the other day I went back and I watched. Uh, so we did Y Combinator when we had this core team, we applied okay. to Y Combinator, which is this accelerator here in Silicon Valley. The other day I went back and watched the pitch that I did to Y Combinator. And it's exactly what we're doing today. And so, wow. I mean, we learn a lot and there's a lot of nuances on, on how we do things. But the big picture idea was was what we're doing today, you know, and and, and, and 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 still the vision hasn't been fully realized. There are elements of the vision that are not still fully there. Um, but you know, broad, broad strokes is is a similar idea.
0: And and what what is your grand vision? Because it it already seems like you guys have helped funnel millions, if if not billions, right. already into reforestation efforts across the globe. Obviously. Um, when you look at your website, it looks like Amazon Rainforest is one of them, and you're partnering with mm-hmm. other you know nonprofit organizations that are mm-hmm. out there actually executing on the reforestation projects. Right. So what what is the grand vision? Because, you know, to any onlooker, we'd look at it and be like, Diego, in two years you've you've created more impact than most companies have in terms of just carbon reduction or governments may have even in carbon reduction in in two years that people take Mm. decades to do. Mm. So what is the grand vision?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the grand vision is to expand that as much as we can. As I said, you know, to move the needle on climate, we need mass reforestation and mass conservation forest. Uh, You know, according to the World Resource Institute, there's two billion hectares available for forest restoration in the planet. Uh, That is the size of North America, uh, you know, distributed around the world. So we have a long way to go in terms of uh, uh, restoring and the next two decades are key, are are the critical decades of, uh, you know, avoiding the worst of a climate crisis. So it's not just about driving the capital, but then it's about building the technology tools for all the players of this market to be able to scale their work. Right. Um, you know, when it comes to sort of like managing the operations of a reforestation project, there's a lot of things that we could be building, you know, with technology, with digital technologies to make it easier to, to scale. Right. Um, so I think we have a lot to do on, on the supply side, so to say, which is reforestation and conservation projects and on the demand side as well, which is how do we expand the demand for carbon credits so that um, more, more funding can go. And then of course, on the verification and monitoring side, there's so many more things that we could be doing, not only observing the carbon on the trees, but biodiversity and you know fire risk and so many other metrics that could be observed and predicted um, using artificial intelligence.
0: Huh. So, so not only is this so the scale of the problem I didn't even know two billion hectares of of land that can be reforested. Like, right. how much capital is that going to require to even get there, and is that even possible in in a decade to two decades? Because Post, yeah. obviously,
1: yeah, possible is. So is it possible? You know, possible is possible. probably will require okay. a couple of hundred billion dollars, um, which oh, is. Wow. It's a lot of money, but it's what, you know, tech companies have on their bank accounts. Right. Uh, and it's what governments spend on, you know, COVID relief. You know, so uh, hundreds of billions of dollars, when, when, you, when you're talking about a crisis that is endangering the very existence of civilization, hundreds of billions of dollars is nothing. Right. So right. it is possible. It's difficult. It's difficult because you know you need to you need to scale and you need to coordinate probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of people. But it's possible. I mean humans we have done things even more difficult than that. You know, we as I said, you know, when you when I don't know if you watch these uh documentaries about mega engineering projects, right? Um, yeah. we we do these mega engineering endeavors, right, that dwarf doing a reforestation project. So Absolutely. to me, it's about channeling human ingenuity into, into this direction at the service of, of nature.
0: Absolutely. Because it's, it's a complex enough problem. Like obviously building the Burj Khalifa, right? That's insane right. insane kind of mega project Right. or some of these new ambitious bridge projects or even Elon Musk's tunnel efforts. Correct. Right. Trying to reduce the cost, but reforestation still has significant complexity when put into the frame of there's 2 billion hectares of land that just hasn't been reforested yet. Right. And, you know, in the large scheme of things, if 100 billion is the target, I mean, do you see that? Because like, obviously, and, and you mentioned this as well, you know, predicting wildfires, monitoring the impact of them, obviously, that that's one of the most Obviously, what happened in Australia—I uh, think now what two years ago—and then subsequently, what happened in California, in Northern California, yeah. um, which is where Pachamas based. Yeah. To to see something like that happen, where people lost homes, people lost yeah. their lives, even. I lost my. Home it shows you what the specific... to the
1: fires last year, so there you go.
0: So, I mean, how did that? That must have made it really. Personal then to, it to did see make what it very personal:
1: Yes yes, uh, it did make it very personal. Uh, not that I need any more motivation for working on climate, but yeah last year in August I was camping with my girlfriend and when I came back, my my home was gone with everything I own um, and yeah, climate change is happening now and forest restoration and management is needed more than ever because of that. In fact, it's something that we're going to have to consider as we plan these restorations is, well, we need to make them resilient to a warmer planet.
0: Right. And um, I'm sorry to hear um, about that loss. Yeah. I'm, I'm more grateful that that at least you're in good health and I am and, yeah, uh, still here I'm with us you. today. So, I mean, it's It shows you that, that there is a significant shift occurring, right? There's awareness in the consumer space as well. Do, do you believe that the next step to get to that, let's say a hundred billion is the goal, right? And it's not going to come from a single individual or source. Do you suddenly start to see after those wildfires, obviously a number of people starting to say, how can I also offset my own small carbon footprint? um, or buy into carbon markets yeah. that you guys are helping validate or these offsets that you're helping validate, Yeah. do you start to see consumers reaching out to Pachama saying, what can I do? It's a hundred dollars, yes. but it's
1: something. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, um, again, we started with big corporations as our target, uh, customers, but we are, you know, working on making it possible for anyone, for a small business, for a chain of restaurants or for a family that wants to, you know, dedicate part of their income to, to compensating their carbon footprint and to restoring forest. Uh, if you look at, you know, the revenues that companies like Spotify or Netflix make just with $10 per month, you know, from hundreds of millions of families around the world, imagine if every family would chime in $10 per month, we would be driving billions of dollars to, Forest restoration and conservation. So yes, I think that. Well, I do think that corporations are way more responsible um, for the crisis, and therefore they have to be responsible for the solutions. And governments too. I do think that everybody has a role to play. You know, if we are in such a crisis, we should all be trying to 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 help somehow.
0: And and what do you think is triggering that consumer behavior? Because. You know, when I when I traveled to the Bay Area, you know, I, I live in New York, but uh, when I come to the Bay Area, obviously the perception around obviously impacting and doing something about the climate is at the peak of the peak, mm, right? Mm, mm. But does it require, even though at a national or even a global scale, everyone knew about what was happening in California and the potential dangers it had. You know, uh, I remember reading news reports that said that if wind was blowing in from the Pacific, then this could have been far more devastating than it was. Yeah. But what does it require a crisis of that scale yeah. so close to people's homes to really drive change? Or have you guys been recognizing different ways to, to empathetically yeah. educate people as to yeah. how they can yeah. be involved, even if it's not voting with their dollar?
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, sometimes it does require this type of uh, orange sky moments. Like here in California, we had an orange sky day uh, last year in which literally it looked like Blade Runner, the movie. And you, know, you couldn't see the buildings of all the smoke coming from the fires. And those moments definitely produce a, you know, a big awakening for many people. Um, but one of the things that we are trying to do or we, we will do more of is to show with satellite data what's going on in the world, right, Uh, the deforestation of the Amazon rainforest, right, the loss of ice sheets on the poles, um, the desertification of areas that used to be agricultural areas, all that we can see now with satellite images in real time, right, and these are the direct effects of a warmer planet and, um, and of a system that is actually still extracting and destroying natural resources as if they uh as if that didn't have an impact on the climate right so um there's there's new tools and uh, you know there's there's a new partnership that nasa uh you know launched to observe methane emissions coming you know from lots of different sites around the world using satellite data so i do hope that you cannot connect to what you cannot see so i hopefully you know this right. this new uh enhanced vision that we have which is viewing the planet from space can help us realize the enormity of the crisis.
0: Right. It's it's almost like you can only connect with what you can touch, feel, see. Yeah. So that way it's, it's almost like it would be interesting where people would follow Instagram and an Instagram account for the yeah. Amazon rainforest. And yeah. daily, you just see it updating with satellite imagery from you guys. Yeah.
1: It's a new phenomenon. Um, if you think about it, up until you know, the first picture that we took of planet Earth happened in the 70s. In the 70s, when Carl Sagan asked you know the 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 controllers of the Voyager to turn the camera back, and we we took the first picture of planet Earth, right? That happened when my parents were you know adults almost, right? And now uh-huh. we have like real time imagery of the planet. Um, it's a new phenomenon it's a new perception organ that we have awakened in the last few decades uh, and hopefully it's not too late
0: right well I mean obviously with uh, with the acceleration yeah and obviously I don't think there is a there is a minimum acceleration we need to be aiming for it needs to be yeah. how quick do we get to that hundred billion dollar mark yeah it's it's a it's a really fascinating state we're in because we we have the technology now to be able to actually enable at a global scale you know consumers and individuals companies and corporations to to actually invest into and vote with their dollars and their resources the things that are important to them and we're seeing at a large scale that People care about the climate, no matter yes. whether you yes. swing Republican, Democratic. Yeah. It's it's become a bipartisan thing, which is a beautiful sight. Yeah. Um. So, I guess then they'd be only, the, uh, the only the the only follow up question I would I would think about is with with your experience and you mentioned you come from the travel industry, starting yeah. with two tech companies there, one to book hostels yeah. and then obviously the, uh, track luggage, which. Again, two really fascinating things, and I'd love to dig into that as well. Um, maybe you'll get a chance to share a little bit with us too. But uh, the the thing I'd really be fascinated about is obviously the changes between running an early stage company, investing in an early stage company, um, and hiring those initial people is completely different from talking about Pachama could potentially be one of the big players managing now a hundred a portion of that hundred billion dollar pot i'm Mm -hmm. going to assume Mm -hmm. that that actually occurs yeah um i in fact hope that it occurs (laughs) that in in a in that kind of a world how does what does pachama need to do and what are you thinking through with your team and your co-founders that's going to enable you to get to that stage what's going to what's going to change from today pachama to Ten years later, when you're back on the show and you're sharing, hey, Swarnov, we did it. Mm -hmm. Now we've Mm -hmm. we've completely reforested every Mm -hmm. hectare that was available to us. And we're in a better spot as a world. We've done what we wanted to do. And Mm -hmm. now we're going to maintain the status quo Mm -hmm. because we're going to continue to maintain. What does that next 10 years look like for you?
1: Yeah, well, I guess this is what I you know, think about every day, uh, right? And uh, I do think that there's a level of um, just a faith, if you want, uh, of just walking uh, straight towards your vision and you figure out the steps along the way. But uh, there are a couple of things that I know to be true. First, is that a, a group of very smart, passionate individuals working together with alignment can change the world. You know, we've seen that many times um, in the history of humanity. So one of my, you know, things that I know is I need to keep recruiting smart, passionate people and then ensure that we're all aligned working in the same direction. Um, The second thing I know to be true is that uh, you can do things with leverage or without leverage, right? And doing things with leverage means doing things, things on, on, thinking of how the technology can help us scale this, right? Um, and, and I think we need to, to do that. You know, the, 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 the power of the technologies that we have unlocked in the last few decades with the internet, with cloud computing, with artificial intelligence, is that it, it allows us to you know, augment human powers to um, to reach global scales, right? Think Airbnb, think Uber, think Amazon. These companies in, in one or two decades have, you know, touched every corner of the planet. Um, that right. was unthinkable, you know, only a generation ago, right? <laughs> Vanderbilt and uh, JP Morgan and uh, Carnegie Mellon are dwarf compared to Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Brian Chesky, in terms of the impact that they have had in the world, and it's because of this, right. you know, multiplying technologies. Um, and and then I think a lot about values, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, an organization uh, is is about a group of individuals that share values, in addition to sharing a vision, um, and it's very important that you know if you are. Th- Thinking about global impact, that you keep, uh, you know, a big, a close eye into, you know, what are the principles and values that you want to bring to that, you know. Uh, so to me, integrity is is, is an essential, you know, uh, value and essential part of of uh, of doing this because it's not just about solving the problem; it's about building a new civilization that hopefully is more beneficial for humans and for the rest of the species in the planet.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So I I I guess then to, to wrap up our beautiful conversation, the the only thing I would I would want to love I, I'd love to hear from you because it seems like you've had a journey of building two startups. Um not sure how big they went, but it seems like every step of the way you've had to step back and relearn new things about a new problem that you've become passionate about Mm -hmm. and you found something that you care so much about that you're willing to build to do whatever you can along with your team for the next decade here what's that one thing you would like founders who might be early off or at a similar stage or getting to a stage that pachamas at Or investors that are looking for the next pachama that Mm. is going to create impact, not from Mm -hmm. a financial perspective, but from I'm looking for the next impactful pachama. What are those things about your industry and your experiences that you think everyone, whether you're an investor or whether you're a founder early on in the journey, what's that one key thing you would say everyone needs to take away and keep Mm -hmm. at heart?
1: You know The first thing that comes to my mind right now is long-term thinking. Um, I think that we one of the problems of our civilization and our economic system is short-term thinking, right? Investors wanted to make a buck, uh, you know, right away, flip a flip a stock, right? Or uh, you know, investors keeping CEOs only accountable for the last quarter, right? Uh, and, and, you know, founders or, you know, people wanted to, you know, become rich and successful very quick. Right. This, this, this is not the way to go about climate tech. The way to go about climate tech is to think two decades, to think 2040. Right. And, and to make decisions and to uh, have visions that are long term thinking and for investors, too. And this is something I, I, I I was very fortunate to get investors who are thinking in that way. Um, investors that don't expect to make a, a, a return on their investment in our company in, in 10 years, but in 20 years, right? So I think at that that would be my message. Think long term. Um, and then, of course, act short term, but envision long term.
0: Absolutely. So it sounds like it's, it's about alignment also in values the way it seems because your investors need to believe in the same goals that you have. They're bringing to the team resources and potentially even connections. So really it's all just a really big family. That's right. (laughs) Working on one problem.
1: That's super, that's super
0: important. So I guess then with that being said, Diego, I I'd love to know if anyone wanted to to connect with you and continue this conversation and follow Pachama, how would they find out about you guys? Where would you typically send them? And if they want to reach out to you, is there a best way to reach you? What's what's the way people can connect with you after this podcast?
1: Yeah. I mean, the two social networks that I use and that the company uses uh, are uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So, uh, follow us awesome. on LinkedIn and Twitter. And of course, come to our website. We do have a newsletter that you can sign up to, and we're sending news every so often. Um, but yeah, you can find us there. Awesome.
0: Alrighty, Diego. This All right. was uh, hopefully painless.
1: It was. Thank you so much, Farnap. So- it's a pleasure to share it with you.
0: Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are listening on Spotify, please make sure to add this to your favorite episodes and also consider sharing it on social. And if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a review with uh, your thoughts from this episode and, of course, to also share and subscribe to this show. The Green Room is brought to you by The Impact There's a free newsletter that you can find on readtheimpact.com, which shares plenty of insights, as well as brand new startups that we're finding that are pre-series A, which could be opportunities for you, your fund, or potential co-founders to really want to check out and learn from. So with that being said, this is Swarna Vespajari from The Impact. It's been great to have you, and I'll see you in the next one.